There's a story of a small church in a small town somewhere in Texas. They got a little distraught one day when the first and only liquor store opened up in town. It happened to be directly across from the street, the street from the church. And so a lot of the people in the church didn't like that. Very fundamentalist, very conservative church. They didn't like having a liquor store right across the street from church, right? And they, they were complaining about it. They were gossiping, talking about how terrible it was. When suddenly, someone had an idea. We should pray. So they decide to pray one day. They have a prayer service. And they pray that God would close down this liquor store. And they're praying on it for a little while. And then they go about the rest of their day. And suddenly, as it would happen, just a couple of days later, a big storm rolls in. A lightning strike comes down hits the liquor store, and it burns to the ground. Well, I, you know, the, the church people were feeling kind of smug about that. They were like, hey, look what happened, see? They were real smug until a letter came that said that the uh, liquor store owner was suing the church. So he said, listen, I'm holding you responsible. You prayed for God to, to get rid of my business, and then all of a sudden a lightning strike happens. So guess what? I'm holding you responsible. And this is all just kind of a legend, but the legend has it that, that they got to court and suddenly the, the church people were, were saying, no, no, it isn't our fault. We don't accept any responsibility. It wasn't us that did it. And the, the judge comes and looks at the case and reads it over and he says, I think I see the problem here. And the church people are like, yeah, yeah, you see the problem? He says, yeah, problem is um, they, there, there's this liquor store owner who firmly believes in the power of God and the power of prayer and a whole church that claims they don't. (laughs) You know, one of the things I've found in life is that your belief system will come into moments in your life where, where you can say you believe something all you want to. But there's a moment where then you have to live it out, where it has to come to life in your life. Francis Schaeffer, in his book that's a pivotal work in the world of Christian philosophy, how should we then live, writes this. He says that most people catch their presuppositions, their belief system, from their family and surrounding society the way that a child catches the measles. But people with understanding realize that their presuppositions, their beliefs should be chosen after a careful consideration of which worldview is true. Here in this series, The Great Questions of Life, we've been asking the questions that are really important to us. In our first week, we asked the question, what is it that we believe? What do we actually believe? What is our worldview? And then we talked about, how do we know what's actually true? How do we seek truth? What happens in a world where we don't really have defined truth? And this week, I want to ask the question, so what? I mean, have you ever had a belief system in your life and you, and you really ask that question, so what? Like, if, anything, if there's really a belief in my life that, that I can't answer the question, so what, then it's not much of a belief. Because if I actually believe in Jesus and actually believe that he's number one in my life and have him on the throne of my heart, then the so what should mean that my life is changed. How, how does what I believe actually affect my life? How do I live it out? And so today I want to ask that question, how do we live out our beliefs? In 1 John 2, 6, it says that those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. There was a great campaign 
think in the 90s, early 2000s, with some great bumper stickers. You guys probably remember them. WWJD. Anybody remember what that stands for? What would Jesus do? And it's a great thing. Now, sometimes in my life, I, I, I can be honest, I, I've had moments where I like to focus on the idea of what Jesus would do, and sometimes I ignore what Jesus actually did. And that's why I love getting in God's Word and seeing what Jesus actually talks about, what was actually important to Him. And of course, from that, we can understand what Jesus would do, what we should do with our lives. See, the thing is, if, if we're going to follow God, if we're going to be fully devoted followers of Jesus, then we have to ask the question, what does Jesus do? What did Jesus do in his time here on earth? And in John chapter 12, I think we get an amazing glimpse of that. I think we're going to get some keys today to how to live out our worldview. If we, if we believe that we're fully devoted followers of Jesus, how do we live it out? By looking at a couple key things from Jesus' life. John chapter 12, it says that even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet who said, Lord, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe, because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, so they can neither see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. But then it says, yet at the same time, Many among the leaders believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they'd be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. Then it says these words, Then Jesus cried out. Then Jesus shouted. Then Jesus raised his voice. And the thing about Jesus raising his voice in this moment is that if you look at the Gospels, there's not a lot of times where Jesus shouts. There's not a lot of times where Jesus raises his voice. I think the the most times you can probably find are when he's on the cross and his last words. When he calls for Lazarus to rise from the dead and come out of the tomb. Possibly in the temple when he's driving out the money changers. There's not many times that Jesus shouts, that he raises his voice, that he gets loud. And so whenever Jesus gets loud, I think that's an important time to pay attention. And so he says this, he says, Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day, for I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his commands lead to eternal life, so whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. There's a couple key things here that I love, and I love that these are in Scripture. As we seek to live out our faith, live out our belief system, there's a couple keys here from Jesus' life that are so incredibly important that I think we should really grasp and own for our life. There's three things, really. The first is this. Jesus came to do the will of His Father. He's clear in that. He says, I've come to do the will of God. It's not me. It's the Father. The second thing is, Jesus came to be a light. I've come to be a light in the dark world, and so should we. 
as followers of Jesus. And finally, it says that Jesus came not to judge the world, but to save the world. We'll talk a little bit more about that, but so should we in our lives. And so looking at these three key values of Jesus, I think that really sum up his ministry. And I think should sum up our lives as followers of Jesus. I want to look at each of these individually. The first one is this, that Jesus came to do the will of his Father. John twelve forty four. he says, Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. In verse 49, he says, For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. Jesus was a person who put the will of his heavenly Father first. Jesus in everything said, no, not my will, but your will, God. And if we're going to do that in our own lives, I want to talk about some things that lead to us being people who put God's will first, who put the Father's will first in our life. The first thing is this, is being a person of integrity. People who put the will of God first are people of integrity. I love that word integrity because integrity, when we think of that in terms of ourselves, oftentimes we think of things like being morally upright, making good decisions. But there's another definition of integrity that I love. It's being whole and undivided. People who have integrity are people who are whole and undivided. Jesus said that no one can have two masters because he'll love one and hate the other. The fact is, if we're going to be people of integrity, we have to be whole and undivided in what it is that we're doing. In Luke eleven thirty six, Jesus says that if you are filled with light and you have no dark corners, then your whole life will be radiant as though a floodlight were filling you with light. See, the thing is, if you are holy and undividedly living for God, it's going to be very obvious to people around you. The fact is, though, the opposite is true as well. If you're not holy living for God, eventually it's going to become obvious, kind of like a person who gets all dressed up in a nice suit, nice tuxedo maybe, and just looks absolutely dapper, has the nicest shoes, the nicest cufflinks, but the problem is they haven't showered in about six weeks. They may look good, but eventually something's going to smell a little off, right? Because the fact is, we are holistic people. And if we ignore one part of ourselves, then the whole part will suffer. Like imagine if you and I are out sitting in a boat one day fishing, and all of a sudden you hear a, a weird sound, and you look over, and I'm drilling holes underneath my feet. And you're like, what are you doing? We're going to sink. And I'm like, well, I'm not doing it on your side of the boat. I'm doing it on my side. Because the thing is, we as people are holistic. A hole in the boat is a hole in the boat. And that's how integrity works. If we really want to be people who follow Jesus and put the Father's will first, we have to ask ourselves, am I living out the belief system I claim to have, that Jesus is Lord and he's Lord of my life? Am I living that out in every area of my life or just the areas that I want to? People who put the will of God first are people of integrity, and they're also people of humility. People of humility. See, humility is not simply false modesty or thinking less of yourself. Humility is about dependence. Humility, people who are humble are people who are dependent on God. 
In, John, in verse 49 of our text, Jesus says, I didn't speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. And everything that Jesus did, he was completely and totally humble and dependent on God. Even to the point where in, when he was in the garden and he kneels down and he says, Father, if you are willing to take this cup from me, Please do it, but not my will, but yours. Jesus was completely and totally dependent on his Father for everything. Even in the moments when he didn't want to take another step forward. That's why in Matthew 5, 3, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Another translation of this says, Those who know that there is a God and they're not him being poor in spirit means i understand that there is a god and and it's definitely not me therefore god i need you there's a another side to this that's really interesting in john 12 verse 42 that we just read he says that at the same time many even among the leaders the religious leaders of the day believed in him Believed in Jesus, but because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. I think one of the most important verses in the Bible, I put it in my top 50. For they loved human praise more than the praise from God. They would rather hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, from everyone around them, rather than hearing, well done, my good and faithful servant, from God. That's a really important piece. Because even Jesus asked the question in Matthew 16, how do you benefit if you gain the whole world but you lose your soul? How do you benefit if, you, if everyone loves you and thinks you're amazing and incredible and the best, but you lose your soul along the way? How does it benefit you if everyone praises you and your name is in lights and you got the biggest stage and you make it as high as you possibly can and you get all the degrees and the best car and all the money and everyone thinks that's who I want to be when I grow up. But then you get to heaven and God says, I never knew you. What does it benefit a man? To gain the whole world, but lose his soul. To gain all the praise in the world, but lose himself. See, the biggest question we have to ask ourselves if we're living out our belief system is asking the question, whose praise is most important to us? Do we want to hear God's praise? Do we want God to praise what we've done? Or do we want to hear the world praise us? What is most important to us? And here's the issue with this. It's a really good idea. It's a really great thing to apply in your life. But maybe you're like me, that at times you can read that and you can go, oh, that's great. Yep, good word. And then you get out into the rest of your week and it feels like immediately you're back to just wanting to hear praise from other people. To living your life in such a way so, so other people will think well of you. Well, the really cool thing about our God, maybe if you're newer at this faith thing, let me just tell you something really cool about Jesus. Um, he doesn't come to us and say, listen, here's an impossible hill, go climb it by yourself. 
He says it's an impossible hill. He says, go be perfect as I am perfect. He says, for, for man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Because we serve this really cool God that doesn't just say, hey, go fix yourself. He says, listen, let me give you my Holy Spirit. Surrender to me and let me give you my Holy Spirit and he will make you perfect. He will start to change the way you think and act. I love in Romans chapter 2, uh, Paul is speaking about what it means to be a Jew and what it means to have circumcision. And we won't get off on this today. So basically he's talking about what does it mean to be a follower of God, to be God's chosen people, and what does it mean to be marked as God's chosen people. And so he says this, he says, No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision, the mark of being God's people, is circumcision of the heart. He says, circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code, by the law. He says this, such a person's praise is not from people, but from God. The fact is, as you get closer and closer to God and have more and more of His Holy Spirit in you, suddenly you won't want praise from other people. You're going to want praise from God first. The closer you get to God, the more you're going to desire to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, rather than, hey, well done, my good and faithful person. You're going to want to have more and more of God's praise in your life, God's favor in your life over what anyone else says. If we're going to be people who seek the will of God first in our life, it starts with us talking to Him. It starts with us being in our words, hearing, hearing from, his, from God's word, from the Bible, praying to Him. If you're someone who's still struggling with this, I, I, I encourage you to spend time with God. Spend time in prayer. The more you ask, the Bible says that those who seek will knock. Those who look for me will find me, He says. And He says to those people, will I not give you my Holy Spirit? The more you see God, the more of His Spirit will come into your life, and the more of His fruit is going to come out. So the first thing we do as people who are seeking to be like Jesus, the first principle we see from Jesus' life is Jesus did the will of his Father. The second thing is this, is that Jesus was a person who put first, or who, who came to be a light in a dark world. Jesus was a light in the world. He says this, he says, I've come into the world as a light. So that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. John 1.9 says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Jesus, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not, rec- did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor a husband's will, but born of God. We are children of God if we are believers in Him and have surrendered to Him. We're children of the light, as the Bible says. And so I want to ask the question, how do we then do that? How do we live as people of the light? How do we be light in a dark world like Jesus was? There's a couple of things I think are important. The first one is called discernment. Having discernment in our life. Luke 11.35, Jesus says, See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. What he means by this is that we need to learn to evaluate things, to test things. We don't just automatically accept whatever is said. Just because everyone else around us is doing something doesn't mean that we should be doing it. You know, when I was growing up, 
my mom, and she, she still is today. My mom is very health conscious. If you're someone who's health conscious into health food trends and fads, I, I just say this. Um, if you're into something, I guarantee you my mom did it 10 years before you. Like, I just guarantee it. I mean, kombucha, making your own bread, green smoothies, whatever it is, my mom is cooler than you in the world of health stuff. She, she knows everything, and she has been about stuff for years. And my mom would do this thing when I was growing up, super frustrating, traumatizing, really. Um, I'd bring her something, and I'd say, Mom, can I eat this? And she'd say, well, let me see it. It was like a prepackaged item. She'd take it, and, and, and she would, <clears throat> I'm getting flashbacks. She would turn it around, and she'd read the ingredients. And she'd be like, mm, red dye 40, mm, sucralose. Mm. And she'd just go through this list of ingredients and she'd hit you know, words I can't even pronounce and mm, that's not a good one. And probably, I got to the point where about where I just kind of know by about three or four of these mm, sounds, I just go, okay, you know what, just give it to me. I'll go put it back. Ah, you know, Billy's mom doesn't care about his health at all. She lets me eat Twinkies every day. Why can't you love me less like Billy's mom? I love my mom for take, for for taking the time to look at things that I was trying to put into my body. Sometimes I wish that we would use discernment and look at some of the things that we put into our souls and kind of read the ingredients list, if you will, and kind of look and go, mm, let's see here, 100% of my da- daily value of sexuality, hmm. 100% of my daily value of gossip, hmm. that's interesting, well, let's put that one aside, hmm. let's, let's pick up this one, ooh, 500% of my daily value of hating my neighbor, hmm. I'm sure on that. So, you know, I wish that we would look at the ingredients list of things that are in our world, and sometimes we don't always know what's what are the ingredients in it. Well, that's where discernment comes in. That's where God's Holy Spirit comes in. That's where looking comes in. Because the more you look at things, you'll start to see what are the ingredients of this. Are the ingredients of this a godly worldview, or is it things that are taking me away from God? As we look at the conversations and the relationships and the things that we're ingesting into our heart and our life and our soul. We have to ask ourselves the question, is what I'm doing actually drawing me closer to God? Is it helping me live out a biblical worldview, or is it taking me away from it? Romans 12, 2, it says, Don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. There's a story of an old man who on his deathbed, he brought his three sons in, and he said, listen, you know all the companies I have and all the wealth I have. He said, listen, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give each of you a dollar, and I want each of you to go out with that dollar and try to buy something that you can fill this whole room with. And whoever has something that can really fill the whole room will get everything. And so one kid goes out and comes back, and he bought a couple hay bales with a dollar takes them apart and takes them all across the room, and soon the whole entire room is filled with hay on the floor, but still there's a lot more room than just the floor. And the other kid comes, and he bought a whole bunch of pillows, like the old ones with with the goose feathers in it, and just rips them apart, throws them everywhere. They're everywhere, but the room still isn't full. Suddenly the last kid comes back, and he, he said, well, what did you buy? And he says, well, you know, I, I ran across somebody who was needing some food, so I, I gave him a little bit, and then I gave a little bit over here, and finally I only had about 20 cents left, so 
I just went and uh, I got a, a book of matches and a candle. What are you going to do with that? Turns off all the lights and lights the match and lights the candle. And soon the whole entire room is filled with light. The thing is, if we're people of God, if, if we have a belief system that, God is, that what God's word says is true, that is something that's going to shine out of us and radiate to the world around us. It's something that should be noticed by people around us. The question is, what are we filling the room with? When we walk into a room, when we walk into our schools, into our jobs, into any place that we go, are people seeing the light of Jesus radiating out of us? When people come into our life, are they seeing the light of Jesus? When people enter our homes, are they seeing Jesus? Do they feel like there's something different about us? See, I think people who are children of the light, they're going to be people of hospitality. They're going to be people of generosity. In Romans 12, 13, he says, Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. I think Christians should be some of the absolute best people when it comes to being hospitable. I, I think hospitality is simply, it's love and action. It's loving people who come into your life. Back in that day, it was in a time when hotels weren't really a thing. It was, hey, come and stay with me. In today's world, maybe that's what we do. Maybe it's just saying, hey, you're welcome here. I pray that anyone who comes in this church feels welcome and loved. That the moment they come in here, they feel like, man, somebody cares about me. And if you're here today and you're newer, I'm glad you're here. Man, I, I really hope that you feel that. If you don't, come talk to me. I'll try to make you feel that way. I'm really, really glad any person that comes in these doors should feel welcomed and loved. See, being hospitable is realizing that everything I have is a gift. Everything I have is a gift from God, and so I have an open hand to give. When my neighbor needs something, when someone else around me needs something, I, I don't hold on to things, but I say, God, well, however you want to use it, because I believe that as I freely give, God says he will freely give back to me. The second thing I understand when I'm being hospitable, hospitable is that every person I meet is a gift. Every person I meet has God's image stamped on them. That means I treat them as such. I treat them as someone who, if they don't know their maker yet, I try to introduce them. I, I give them the love that Jesus has given to me. I see them as someone who is uniquely gifted by God. I'll tell you what, this is why. I love our church. One of the things I love about our church is that one of our core values is food. I don't know if it's actually a core value, but it's going to be at some point. Because really... Like, everything we do is about food around here. You show up here, hey, we've got food after service. Hey, you come here on, on, these, you know, on, on, uh, the mo- on Mondays here, the Daily Bread Food Pantry, we got food. You come here on Saturdays, we have food. You come here on Halloween, we'll have food. Like, we just always have food. And I just love it because I think that is such a big part of hospitality, is feeding people who need food, is loving people. I think it's so important for us as we look out there. Who can we feed? Who can we love? Who can we take care of? If we're going to be people who are like Jesus, if we're people of the light, then the question becomes, how do we become people of hospita- hospitality, of dangerous and crazy love to the world around us? Sorry. Dry throat. But finally, the third thing is this. 
Jesus came to save the world, not judge it. And so should we. Jesus came to save the world, not judge it. He said in John 12, If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. For I didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. (coughs) Jesus says, I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. This is an important thing because a lot of times we hear this and we've kind of developed this culture in the church of either we're, we're either too judgmental or we're on this place where we're like, yeah, you can't judge anybody. Yeah, don't judge. You can't judge me. Only God can judge me. And sometimes we don't understand what judgment actually is. Judgment is, is not pointing out what's true. Judgment isn't having a disagreeing opinion from someone. But Jesus is, it was pretty clear with what was true when he was on earth. But he says, I don't have any punishment for you. That's later on. I'm trying to save you right now. Jesus was focused on the promise of everlasting life instead of being focused on the punishment. See, that's the main difference, is that judgment is connected to consequences. Love for people is connected to promises. Like, have you ever had someone come up to you and say something that was, that was true but completely unhelpful? Like if somebody comes up to you and says, Hey, listen, you are unhealthy and out of shape. You're going to die soon. Probably would say, great, why don't you go play in traffic? But if somebody comes up and says, hey, I love you, and I've been wor- working with you for a while, and I see these things might be a sign of some unhealth in your life, and I really care about you, can I show you a better way? Can I show you a way to heal? Can I show you a way to get better? Can I show you some lifestyle changes to make? It's completely different. Now, I've had some people in my life that have said some things into me that were, were kind of mean. That were, that were not helpful. That, you know, some, some yeah, things that yeah, I didn't like at the time. Not my personal favorite one. This was about ministry. Uh, we, got, we got an email at the church, and uh, this is a, many years ago. And it said, um, <clears throat> Tim is not qualified to pastor a goldfish. <laughs> I laughed so hard. <laughs> Because it's funny because I can't take care of goldfish. They always die. And so it's just really funny. I laughed. So I knew who it was, and it wasn't something that necessarily affected me that much. But, you know, I have been told much harder things by people who actually love me. Like, I've had people say things in my life that really hurt, but the cool thing was, the Bible says that wounds of a friend will avail much because friends are the ones that stick around and help you get better. And the, the people in my life that have been closest to me have said things that, oh, that hurts. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to focus on that. Thank you. But they're the people that go, listen, I love you enough to help you through this. I see this in your life. Tim, you have a problem with lust. You need to work on that. Tim, you have a problem in this area. You need to work on it. But hey, can I help you? Judgment is going, yep, you suck. You're going to hell. True love like Christ goes, hey, here's what the Bible says and here's how you're living. I'd just really like to share with you a different way because there's a God that promises to give you life and life to the full and it just changed my life. Can I introduce you to him? And if we're people who are truly intent on being like Jesus, then suddenly we're going to be people who are focused on saving people more than judging them. People who are focused on how can we walk alongside people who are far from God and introduce them to this God who desperately, desperately loves them. 
Suddenly we, we become people of possibility. People who see possibility in every person that we meet. Jesus said in John 12 that I know that His, the Father's commands, lead to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. The fact is every person that we see around us has a possibility of meeting Jesus and receiving eternal life. They have a possibility of life and life to the full, a possibility of purpose in their life. Every person has God-given potential that God has uniquely placed on them, an identity He wants to give them. The question is, do we see it? Do we see people the way that Jesus sees them, or do we just see them as someone who thinks differently than us? Someone who's annoying, someone who's angry, someone who's addicted, someone who's a pain in the butt. Because so often what we do in life is we miss the purpose that God has for people. We miss the purpose that God wants to make clear in their life. So as we go into our workplaces, as we go into our schools and into our homes, are we focused on being the light of Jesus? Are we focused on introducing people to this amazing and incredible God that we serve. See, Matthew 10, Jesus says, that anyone who loves her father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves her son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. What Jesus is trying to say here is that if you're really going to follow me, you're going to have to give up something. And if we're really going to be like Jesus, it means giving up something. Maybe if it's telling, telling people around us about Jesus, maybe we have to give up some of that insecurity that we're holding on to, that desire to be praised by other people. Maybe for some of us, it's just giving up some habits that no one else knows about, some things that we, have. we look good when we walk around, but no one knows about the fact that we have some stinky things that are going on underneath the surface. Whatever it is, one of the really cool things I said earlier is that we don't serve a God that simply leaves us where we're at, but who gives us His Holy Spirit. In Ezekiel 36, 26, He promises this to us. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. The amazing thing about our God is we don't have a God that says, listen, have a worldview that is correct. Here, here's the answers. Go live it out. We serve a God that says, listen, let me come alongside you through my Holy Spirit and give you power and give you the ability to look like me and give you the ability to will and act according to my good plan. We serve an amazing and incredible God. And so I want to invite you today that as we close, as you examine your worldview, and ask yourself, what is it that I believe? And how is it that I'm living it out each and every day? I want to invite you to ask God. To ask God for His power. If you're someone that says, listen, I'm not living this out fully in my life. I want to invite you to say, God, I want more of your Holy Spirit. Please help me draw closer and closer to you. Help me to surrender everything. If maybe you're someone who's never started that relationship with Jesus before, I want to invite you today and just tell you there's a God who loves you so much, who has a purpose and a plan and a power for your life. Let's pray. Father.
I want to lift up every person who's here today. God, in everything that we do, we don't just want to come to church. God, we want to see your power show up. And so, God, for every person that's here today who's maybe struggling, who maybe looks at the way they're living their life and they don't see you in every corner of it, God, I pray for just an outpouring of your Holy Spirit on them. That they would start to see more and more of you in their life. And as we go and live out our worldview, we go out and live out our belief system to the world, that, God, we would be a light shining on the hill. That our people would would go out and bring you with them. That people would see Jesus in us. And, God, I pray for every person today that loves you, it's a follower of you. I pray for the interactions they're going to have with people who don't know you this week. And, God, I pray over them your blessing. I pray over them your favor. I pray that you would have your hand on them and that in the moment they would have the words to say. They would have things coming out of them that they didn't even realize. God, I pray that you would do something miraculous through them, that, God, it wouldn't just be one or two people in our church who are the holy people, that we would all be God's holy people going out and bringing your presence with us. And, God, for anyone in this place who's never started a relationship with you, I pray that that, that today is the day that they would say, God, I give you everything. I surrender I repent of my sins and believe that you are capable and able to forgive them because of Jesus' death on the cross. God, we thank you in advance for who you are and what you're doing in our lives. And God, we can't wait to see how you grow us, how you use us, how you make us look more and more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.